What if you approached every problem like it was an experiment? It could feel like a subtle shift, but it also could keep you from settling on the first solution that happens to work so that you can then find the best solutions possible. All the easy questions have been answered. All we've got left now are the hard ones, and it's best that we prepare for them. I, I can't remember where I first heard that quote. I've Googled it, I've skimmed back through the books on my shelves without any luck, but it's been in my notes for a while, and I just keep underlining it almost on a daily basis. And that quote sums up the vast majority of my work. I answer questions, I solve problems, and especially with the craziness of this past year in a pandemic, I've only been faced with hard ones. And I'm sure that is 100% true for most of us. There's a lot that goes into the professional process of understanding and answering the questions that we face. And this lesson to remember focuses more on like the philosophical approach we use for that process and viewing everything as an experiment so that we can answer the question, how do I know our solution actually solves our problem in the best way possible? My name is Jacob, and thanks so much for joining me for this episode of Lessons to Remember. Uh, if you're just now hopping into this with me, I'm really glad that you're here, that you found it, however you got here. And this is a place where I really just want to share key lessons from my life, from my experiences as a young leader in the nonprofit world, for honestly no other reason than just to make sure I don't forget them. Because I know the best way to get a lesson to stick is to try and share it with someone else. So that's what this space is about. And fingers crossed that some of this stuff might help someone outside of myself too. Now let's focus on this lesson which is all about the value of letting everything be an experiment. And I honestly owe this lesson to my friend Tony Ducklow, who is an entrepreneur, a fellow youth worker, and a consistent inspiration for creative problem solving. I don't know anybody who jumps into that with more passion and that comes out of it with better ideas than Tony. He is a rock star in it. And so he's really responsible for challenging me to look at everything like an experiment. And I know I might give some of us some nightmares by taking us back to high school science classes, but bear with me as we revisit the steps to the scientific method, because it's important. And those steps are, one, ask a question, two, do your research, three, construct a hypothesis, four, test it and observe, five, if it's working, then analyze the data and draw conclusions, and then six, communicate the results. In this process, it feels arduous, it feels long, and can feel drawn out, but it has a really important purpose, and it's powerful for really two reasons. First, it forces us to make sure we understand the question before we commit to any work. After all, if we don't understand the question we're trying to answer, we've got no hope anyway, right? Second, it prevents us from relying too heavily on our gut. 
when we have to make decisions fast. We need to be more cautious than ever about where our gut is leading us. If we do happen to be patient enough to at least start the scientific method, we still face the temptation to shrink the process and get it a bit out of order. Like asking a question, then jumping over our research to get right to constructing our hypothesis. Then we might go back to do research to see if we can find support for our hypothesis. And if we've ignored then the disciplined process of the scientific method up to that point, then our gut just tells us, just jump to communicating the results as if it's fact. And there's plenty of problems in this, right? We're using micro aspects of the scientific method to bolster and solidify a narrative that we already constructed. And in our communication, we're essentially trying to pass it off as proven. And as I'm saying this, I remember very specific moments when I've done this because I'm somebody who just rarely hesitates before jumping into action. In my org, I've built systems and structures for our teams off of this, and some of them I've had to completely dismantle and rebuild because I shortened the process. In my marriage, I've jumped into fights with Katie so sure of my hypothesis <laughs> without any bit of research, and it bit me in the butt. And even in my faith, I've asked questions and followed my gut or someone else's to a hypothesis that I convinced myself was true and built entire perspectives of who I am in relation to God and people around me. And that narrative construction for our work, for our family, our faith, or whatever it is, becomes the perspective that we use to understand what's happening around us. It becomes foundational. It becomes the stuff that we just start to assume is fact, and we eventually stop questioning it completely unless a situation outside of our own head demands it and forces us to deconstruct it. So letting our gut lead us through a shortened or incomplete scientific process is, at best, a really big risk based on some lazy work. At worst, and not to be too dramatic about it, but it's true. At its worst, it's us choosing to live in a false paradigm, knowing that we risk impacting the lives of people we love and that we lead. All of us can do better than that. The advantages that come from shifting our process, from treating everything like an experiment, far outweigh any short-term benefit we might get if we shortcut, especially since we're not the only one impacted by our gut reactions. And here's how I see it. If we look at everything as an experiment, first, it reminds us that our gut is biased. Our gut has no choice but to be egotistical because it's our gut and wants what it thinks is best for us. It's focused only on what's in our heads, only on our perspectives, and only within the realm of what we alone can imagine. However, we all know the best solutions to any question are bigger than you or me alone. They come from more than just one source. Second, it shows our blind spots and our mental shortcuts. Our brains are built to work as efficiently as possible. That means my brain works hard to build shortened pathways between issues and solutions, between any question and an answer. And if something worked once, my brain assumes it will always work. And that can be a detrimental blind spot. Third, 
it allows us to be wrong. This is probably the biggest advantage that we can experience. It's recognizing the reality that we will be wrong far more often than we are right. When we accept that, we see that the value we can bring to any situation is not how many times we can get it right, but how we respond when we get it wrong. And the fourth thing is that it maximizes the possibility. If we're not willing to open ourselves to all the research, to all the observations and all the data, then we're not willing to see or experience all of the possibilities. And most questions I face on a daily basis at my org have more than one answer that will work. But just because an answer works, it doesn't mean it's the best answer to the question. And we can't expect that we're always going to get it right the first time. When we shortcut the process, we're choosing to settle for whatever answer we find that happens to work in the moment. But if we can commit to everything being an experiment, it opens our eyes to all the possible answers so that we have all the options to choose from and then can find the best one for us. Now, the, the tension that I feel every time I decide I'm going to treat something like it's an experiment is usually around the fact that I don't want to slow down. I'm far more likely to be the one building the plane as I fly it, knowing it's going to be a bit clunky for a while, but at least it's in the air. And I can typically trace my hesitation or resistance to the scientific process directly back to my desire to just jump in and take off. But here's the deal. Even for those of us that are working in orgs that are like planes, flying at 500 miles per hour, this scientific process still works, and it only slows us down enough to make sure we're charting the right course, which in my opinion is worth the very small delay it causes. And it doesn't force us to be grounded until we do have all the answers or until we have it all figured out. We can still build it as we go, but the work we're committing to might just be a bit more labored, more complicated, and more intense. It might mean you have multiple questions and hypotheses being tested at the same time. They might be layered on top of each other, impacting each other in a different way, and your strategic planning then includes a whole lot of if-then possibilities that you have to account for. So if you're like me, jumping to action as quickly as possible, you'll have to prepare yourself to take on that difficult work as you're flying but it's worth it. It's way better than building a false narrative on your gut that ends up being wrong and hurting or losing the trust of the people around you. I know there's a lot to unpack in this, so let's just focus on you in these last few seconds. That problem that is staring you down right now, that really difficult question that has you stuck or that is keeping you from growing, what if you paused looked at how you're addressing it, and switched over to a process that would cross-check your gut, provide mirrors for your blind spots, give you the freedom to be wrong, and a process that helped you maximize the possibilities. Wouldn't it be worth it? That's what can happen when we let everything be an experiment. It's not easy. We have to commit to it and rally our teams around it, but it's the kind of work that people like us do. And it's a lesson from my friend Tony Ducklow that I don't want to forget.
That's another lesson to remember that will hopefully stay with me for the long haul. I'm Jacob, and thank you for joining. I'll see you next time.